Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today, we're talking about Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the live action film currently in theaters. And my guest is the production designer, Liz Tunkel. Liz, welcome to Below the Line. Hi, thank you for having me. Glad you're here. Now, a warning for listeners, today's conversation may contain spoilers for the film. But first, Liz, tell me about this project and how you got involved. Sure. So um, some people might know that this IP has existed for a while. Uh, Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp made a couple of shorts uh, that were a big sensation on YouTube. Back in 2010. Yes. <laughs> A long time ago, they also wrote one or two children's books based on the character and his world. And so, you know, it's just been out there in the ether for a while. And I got involved because I actually knew both of them before they even made Marcel because I went to NYU film school with Dean. He edited my thesis film I made there. And he started dating Jenny at the time. So I met her then. And then just through like a lot of happy coincidences, I knew a lot of other people involved in the project. So I was lucky enough to be brought on. Now, it's an interesting take on that. As you mentioned, it was made a long time ago, 2010 with these original shorts. And listeners, by the way, you can go find those on YouTube and get some context what we're talking about with Marcel the Shell. But it's a long time between those original shorts and this film coming out. One of the things that I really respect about Dean and Jenny and the other people involved, like um, Elizabeth Holm, one of the producers, is that they had so much respect for the project and sort of like the ideas behind it that they didn't just want to sell it to the highest bidder. Like they literally went the other route and like turned down every possible offer. And we're like, how do we make this on our own so that we maintain creative control and continue to give it like that special sparkle that it had from the beginning. So that took a long time. And then beyond that, we shot the live action portion of the film in um, summer of 2019 And then they started doing the stop motion in the winter of 2020. And then it had to shut down for maybe almost a year. And then beyond that, there's a lot of effects in the film and other things that just like made it have a very long timeline beyond just the time they took to, you know, decide how they wanted to pursue it and also write the script and record it. Oh, wow. So at what point did you start in with prep on this? In other words, where in this process were they when you came on board? They were very far along. Like I, they had already, you know, started working with Cinereach and, you know, had the funding for the film. They had already made an animatic of the whole film rather than writing a script. And an animatic is basically like, you know, sort of like storyboards of the film that are almost animated. Um, And they had already recorded all of the audio. So by the time I came in, like, it was very clear what the project was, how they were moving forward with it. And I was just sort of there to help realize it and bring it more out into the world. Well, Liz, talk to me about your job as a production designer and how this film was a unique challenge. 
the job of a production designer can appear very like vague or opaque or unclear to those that don't work in film and even a lot of people that do. So <laughs> basically I'm responsible for everything that's in front of the camera that isn't the actors and what they're wearing. It's sort of like when you go to Disneyland, like I would be the one who created that environment you just walked into. It's an exciting job because you're really there to help build out the world and like tell the story further through space and time. My job on this film was really unique because not only did I do that for sort of like human world and human scale, I also had to think about what the world was that Marcel and his community resided in. Right. So again, for folks who are sticking with us, even though you haven't seen it, Marcel and his family and friends are basically little knickknacks. Like you might pick up at a shop where it's, you know, someone's gotten a shelf for the beach, giving it an eye, in this case, giving it some shoes, and it's alive. And so interacts with the entire world at that tiny inch tall scale. But at the same time, there are humans involved. This larger world that they live in is our world. Yeah, and I like Kirsten Lepore, who's the animation director on the film and also helped create a lot of the characters. She always approached it that, you know, the other members of Marcel's community are almost like these things that have fallen into the couch, you know, like a piece of Chex Mix or things like that. What I find really compelling about Marcel and his community is that they kind of like beg us and and. And in the narrative of the film, Dean, to kind of like look at the things in our world that we're not paying attention to. So that's what we thought a lot about with the design is like, oh, this windowsill that you walk by every day. But actually, if you put the camera there, you see how beautiful it is. And, you know, like a spider who built an amazing web in it. And so I I really appreciate that the film is asking you to like pay attention to the world around you and like respect it. And as you mentioned, in terms of like the scale and its relationship to the human world, it was really important that everything in Marcel's world originally came from the human world. It was something that, you know, and often it's a thing that we've forgotten about, you know, that we didn't even notice was gone. It's almost like losing a sock in the washing machine um, and where it ended up. And so I think there's something really special about that too, to just see it's sort of like in Toy Story or something like that. Like where are these things, the life that they live without people and also like how that can sometimes be more magical or exciting, or there's like a new, you know, one man's trash is a shell's treasure. (laughs) (laughs) Now in thinking about the living space for Marcel and his grandmother, to your point about using our objects to sort of round out and how they might use them differently. Uh, What were some of the challenges specific to this film? I think it's very easy to be like, oh my gosh, Marcel is one of the cutest characters of all time. Like everything around him should be really cute. We don't have to think about where that came from. Like if this thing looks cute next to him, we should do it. And I really appreciated and like was excited by like Dean's impulse that like, We don't ever want something that's just cute. It's always got to have a function. And I feel like that's also just like in my design process across projects, how I've always approached things is like, 
I don't, I don't want just something decorative. Something should always make sense. Why would a character buy that? Why would they have that thing? How did it end up in their space? So I thought it was really exciting to think about that with Marcel and Nana Connie, his grandma, and the things that they would have held on to. And then also things from our human world that do look really cute in their scale, but also make sense to be there. Like that was one thing with, with Nana Connie's space you know she lives in like an old jewelry box and we're like oh what could we put in here as like decor that would make sense and so like some of the art on her walls is like postage stamps because that's like in her scale but it it also is an existing thing she could have had access to it's not like something shell you know because that was another challenge as well is that the shells can only make things with you know kicking it along or like with their mouths they don't have arms or like thumbs so they can't do certain things that humans do it strikes me during the film that sometimes we're looking at the shells from a human perspective but then there's other times when we've been almost embedded with the shells and they are also interacting with the human world in the other direction from the production designer point of view how does that affect what you're setting up Uh, That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think, you know, so much of the film, since it's sort of set up like a documentary, is about kind of, yeah, like flipping that perspective. And there's even, you know, a moment in the film where Marcel starts filming Dean. (laughs) It's like, you know, and there is also this whole kind of plot point in the film that Dean doesn't really want to be on camera. And so there is, I think it is, exciting to think about like the shells perspective on our world and and what they think things are for um you know like there's a lot of like misuse of items in our world but for their benefit um like the kitchen mixer comes to mind or um yeah just things like that that could be misinterpreted but in a very beautiful way but then there's things that also like seem to make sense to everyone like the record player it's like marcel understands that that makes beautiful music so you know he's learned how to use it also talk to me about uh the outside areas because it's not limited just inside the house we both have humans outside but also the shells do things outside as well yeah well i think that was a really important part of the film to Dean and also one of the reasons he started working with Kirsten Lepore, the animation director was he was really excited about um, having the natural world in like a stop motion space, because usually that's such an impossibility because, you know, like just so that the process is sort of clear, like we shot everything live action but then it had to go to stop motion stages in order to make the characters move. And so that means that everything that was in like a three foot radius around the characters had to be preserved to go shoot at stop motion. So there's a lot of moments where Marcel and Nana Connie are right next to real plants. So in order to make that work, we had to like very carefully kind of like photograph and like take note of what plants they were next to so that they could either fabricate or find, you know, living plants that looked very close, if not identical, although that's an impossibility. (laughs) Like it's much easier to make an identical blanket or something 
than like an identical plant. Like that's the beauty of plants, um, just like people. And so that was definitely a challenge, but in a really exciting way. And I think too, that Dean was really inspired by like the look of movies like Tree of Life or things like that, that really like show the beauty of the natural world. And so I think to my point earlier about kind of peeking into these spaces we don't normally pay attention to, I think it was really important to him to show that. And like, I'm a huge kind of animal lover and really believe in animal rights and stuff. So it was very exciting to me that there's like moments where we see like ants and other bugs that sort of like don't get their due where they kind of get to shine and be like stars in the film. So, <laughs> yes. Now you bring up another point as well as about the sort of archiving all the information that can be given for the stop motion work when they're doing that later on. But what about scenes where there are practical effects? In other words, uh, Marcel uses this tennis ball to get around the house. How was that an aspect during the live filming or was a lot of that later animation? No. So that, that was one of the most challenging parts of the film was that it was really important to Dean, which is not normally the case in stop motion, that everything around Marcel moved naturally. So like if Marcel was going to interact with, you know, the drawstring from the blinds, they couldn't do that on the stop motion stage because it would be a staccato. It would like not, the movement wouldn't be fluid. So that meant that in the live action shoot, we had to, you know, I, I'm actually a magician. And so we use like a lot of sleight of hand techniques and other kind of magical techniques or kind of old school practical effects techniques in order to get things to move. The tennis ball was one of the biggest challenges because, you know, it's like the opening moment in the film is Marcel kind of zooming around this house in a tennis ball. And so we had tried one version of it and Dean said no it needs to zoom down the hall like it needs to be like you know the Lamborghinis of tennis balls <laughs> and so after like many iterations we settled on basically what was like a ball robot that we made look like a tennis ball wow so you could actually remotely control what the tennis ball was going to do yes you could control all of its movements and yeah, <laughs> it was basically like an actor in the film <laughs> or like a droid. You know? <laughs> now, how large a crew did it take to pull this off? We pulled it off with, a, at least in the live action portion, like there were many people involved in the stop motion aspect. But in the live action portion of the film, my department was probably a quarter, if not less of the size it should have been. Like most people on my team were doing so many people's jobs and it was pretty miraculous that, that we pulled it off and a testament to like how dedicated they were to the project and also just like their like artistic dedication. So it was not easy and it was not, um, I don't know. It wasn't one of those jobs where you showed up and you kind of clock in, clock out. It was definitely a, like a labor of love. Like um, my right hand person, Jake Tremblay, my art director, literally made it rain. Like he was the person who like sprayed water on windows to make it rain in shots because like there was one scene where we had a water truck, which is like traditionally how you make things rain in movies on, on location. But 
every other time, like he would literally get up from like doing SketchUp models and drawings at his desk and go and make it rain (laughs) because it was just like, how do we pull this off with what we've got? So him and Ahmed Delgado Riviera, my set decorator, and Haley Appel, the prop master, and Tegan Morin, who is our lead person, like Jonathan Villalobos, uh, one of our set dressers, like we just had, and Bora Kyungmin Lee, uh, and Sonia Giacomezzi. We had like amazing, an amazing, amazing crew who just like really, really put their all into it. But it was a tiny, tiny group. And I forgot many names, but it was a tiny, tiny group. Any favorite sets you had that we haven't talked about, either particularly because of the challenge or just the way it turned out? Well, we didn't particularly talk about Nana Connie's like bedroom. That's probably my favorite set just because I was very close with my grandmothers and like really uh love the the items of theirs that I used to that I have like their jewelry and things like that so it was very special to me to sort of create a space related to that I really love the dining room where we see sort of like Marcel and Nana Connie eating but then we also see they're in like on the hutch of like a larger dining room and that was a really exciting um set for a few reasons one was like Dean really wanted these these candle, these birthday candles around it, that was all done practically. And then, you know, there's this moment where Marcel walks up to sing a song um, and Nana Connie is talking about how he's almost like on stage. And I, I, you know, I've designed a lot of theater and I got really excited about like finding a way to create like stairs up to that. So we found this old vintage like coaster set where the coasters kind of come out like stairs. And then I wanted to put like a backdrop. So I had Bora from our crew paint this little like landscape painting that is behind him. And I really love how it looks in the finished film. Like, I just think it's such a a special moment and there was so much kind of like technical artistry that went into that scene that you wouldn't really notice but like that all had to be shot with like a special I think like motion capture rig so that they could get the movement of the camera exactly the same for the stop motion shoot so that was like one of the most technically like advanced things we shot in the film. I also wanted to ask you about the scenes where 60 Minutes comes to the house you have a production set up that they're going to be filming, which we're very familiar with. So I'm curious, one, whether you lean into the fact that most audience members don't know what a production crew actually looks like and how you design that. And also then adding in Marcel's perspective to this action and again, this human shell interaction that's taking place in these scenes. Yeah, well, that was always a really exciting part of the film. And it was really exciting that 60 Minutes was on board. You know, I I believe Liz Holm, the creative producer, got in touch with them and they were like all in to do it. And also it was really important to them that it looked like 60 minutes. They literally brought their whole crew and they brought (laughs) all their cameras and they like talked to Bianca Klein, our DP, and they're like, this is how it would look. This is the kind of camera we shoot on. Like, this is where we would put our lights. It was very fun and exciting. Um, And like, even that moment where Leslie Stahl is doing 
her kind of like a monologue on a stool with a graphic behind her. Like they had their team like make that graphic. Cause they're like, this is what we would make it look like. So it was kind of meta in that way. And it was really fun. I mean, it was also just really fun. Like Dean and Nick Paley, the co-writer, had already had like written into the story, sort of these beats and jokes about the crew, which are fun if you if you're like kind of on the inside of it. But I feel like it's really well visualized that anyone would laugh about it, like the tool belt guy and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know that that was like a fun moment. It was sort of like having like visiting day on the set to have these people show up. And in terms of like other visualization of it, I mean, I I guess it almost felt kind of natural because I'm so used to setting up those kinds of things that like the iconography of it was very familiar to me. It was like, oh, like, you know, Marcel can be in a pelican case, like being moved around. And yeah, I don't know. That, That was like pretty easy for me to visualize. Well, we've really only scratched on the surface of the number of fun moments in this film. I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed it. For you, though, with the film now in the past, and again, having done that work so long ago, what's it like to see it now with what actually is on screen? (laughs) Well, I feel like I was like watching the movie like behind, like between my fingers, because I, it's, it's all... I feel like I've finally gotten to the point in my career where like I enjoy watching the things that I've worked on, but working my way up in indie world for so many years, there's always this like, oh no, what is this thing going to actually look like? Or So I, I'm excited to see it again with like now that I like don't have the jitters because I was very like, I, I was sort of like mouth agape the whole time of like, oh my gosh, this looks so beautiful. I like can't even believe how how it all came together and all the people involved to make it so special. I'm very proud of how it turned out and very proud to have been a part of it. Well, congratulations to the whole team. We're going to call it a wrap here. Liz, great having you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Go see the movie. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Liz, where else are we going to catch your work? Well, you can go see the recently opened film, Emily the Criminal, starring Aubrey Plaza, a thriller about student debt that I highly recommend. Uh, Well, look forward to that as well, Liz. That sounds great. Closing credits for me, thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.